Black Box. Emergency Response Executive Ken Jenkins draws from his years of experience in deployment, logistics, planning, and after-action analysis to take you inside the Black Box. Now, here's Ken Jenkins. Hey, good day and welcome to the Black Box. I'm your host, Ken Jenkins, and today I'm very happy to have a guest in the studio with me, Mr. Larry Wansley. Currently the director of security for the Dallas Cowboys Football Club, or more widely known as America's Team. In a previous life, Larry was the managing director of corporate security for American Airlines. That's where we knew each other, and he worked there from 1992 to 2004, where together Larry and I responded to multiple fatality accidents within American Airlines, including American Flight 965 in Cali, Columbia, the 9-11 terrorist attacks involving American and United Airlines, as well as the crash of AA Flight 587 in New York City. Larry, welcome to the Black Box. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming. Thank you. Um, I've shared a little information about your background, but I tell you, that's just a little bit because you have such an extensive background. Please share with everyone how you began your career in law enforcement and then how that led into your career in security. Well, Ken, in football parlance, um, I'm happy to be here, Coach. First of all, thank you very much for inviting (laughs) me. I started uh, actually as a young Marine, which is the cornerstone of what I'm about. Um, that, that really, really made who I am. And as a result, I, um, after getting out of the Marine Corps, I actually wanted to be an engineer. That's what I was focused on doing and making my career. And as a result, um, I was going to school. I was in L.A., and I ran into a friend that I had played football with in the Marine Corps in Okinawa. Happened to run into him, uh, at a, he was at a bus stop, stop, hey, what are you doing? The bottom line is he was going to take a test. I told him that I would, um, I would give him a ride, let's go down, I'll wait on you, and then we'll hang out and talk about old times after, uh, after the exam. I had no idea what he was testing for or anything like that. As it turned out, he was testing for a police officer, which he didn't tell me, but I happened to be hanging around out in the, uh, in the hallway, and one of the officials said, get in there, they're about to start. Bottom line is, I went in, took the test, I passed, my friend didn't, I became a cop, and it was the start of a, a career path that was very, very exciting, and to this day, it's, um, it, it's still exciting. I started as a, uh, as a cop in a city called Compton, um, most recently, there was a movie called Straight Out of Compton. Compton at one time was known around the country as the most dangerous place in the world, or in the U.S., certainly. But in any case, uh, it was my introduction to law enforcement. And um, my first, within my first 20 minutes on the street in a squad car, three days onto the job, my partner and I were ambushed by five guys, and we were in a shootout um, as a young guy fresh from the Marine Corps, that was pretty cool. I thought, hey, this is, this is action. This is really interesting stuff. So consequently, um, 
I succeeded, if you can uh, use a term like that. I became very, very experienced in a very short period of time and ultimately became the chief of detectives there at the, at the PD. And shortly thereafter, the FBI and the CIA recruited me. Frankly, I was more interested in the CIA until they finally told me what their plans were for me, and that included being specially trained and sent to South Africa in a covert role. And that was during the heart of the apartheid movement. Nelson Mandela was still in Robben Island. And I thought, no, I don't think that I want to do that. <laughs> and and uh, I opted to, uh, to go into the FBI. A short period uh, after that, a short time after going into the FBI, I wound up uh, doing undercover work, getting involved in, uh, in the, and that essentially was my career at the FBI. Um, I worked all over the country, various identities, various uh, businesses, if you will, and uh, that, again, was phenomenal uh, training and experience for me. But um, I moved to Dallas to get away from that, that work, and I was here in Dallas one day, and I got right back into it because they happened to throw an intriguing case at me for my evaluation. And um, I immediately went undercover in that particular case, which turned out to be one that... Uh, garnered a lot of news and it was in East Texas. It was a corruption case. Uh, consequently, the principals there, I mean, I was a big time criminal. That was my persona, if you will, and I became partners with the sheriff who took, I'll put it that way, no, no criminal in his county did business without paying off. Okay, and I became one of those people. So he was part of the corruption scandal oh, you were yes. going into work for. Right. right. There, were, there were quite a few people. But uh, anyway, um, he and I became business partners until he decided that uh, he wasn't getting his fair cut. And as a result, he and I uh, had a little walk across an oil field. That was at his invitation. He had a couple of his deputies pick me up. And I, I, had, I had met with him many, many times one-on-one, -on -one, no big deal. But this particular case, uh, this particular time, I should say, he um, had a point to make, and that was that the word was that I was doing a lot of business on the side that he was not getting a cut for. And um, we stopped at an open grave. He pulled his gun out and cocked it and put it to my head, and I thought, well, this is it. It's over. And uh, consequently, um, I talked him out of it, be only because I appealed to his greed. I thought, if I tell him my mob people will come after him, that'll only appeal to his sense of bravado. And if I tell him I'm really an FBI agent, he'll just bury me deeper. So I really jumped bad with him, so to speak, and uh, got in his face and appealed to his greed and told him, well, if you're going to kill me, you really are dumb because you're killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. We walked away from that. The FBI raided uh, shortly thereafter, you know, a few weeks, and uh, we really busted up corruption out there. Um, the Cowboys reached out to me. I became the player counselor in the early 80s, 1983, and started programs that are now standard throughout the league. Um, at the Cowboys, that was a phenomenal, that was a phenomenal experience. 
I went to, um, uh, during, the, during the experience with the Cowboys, I took a leave of absence and I ran security. I was head of security for Whitney Houston's first world, world tour. And that was before all the, the drug issues and everything else. She was not that way at the time. She was the world's sweetheart. An interesting thing about that is the fact that she, during the course of that, uh, every concert, she would wear a Dallas Cowboys t-shirt. And part of the reason I was allowed to do that, taking a leave of absence from the Cowboys, was to promote football internationally. The NFL wanted to create an international league. So part of what I was doing while I was working for Whitney was promoting football. She actually helped with that because there are a lot of celebrities always in the house for a show. I got them all decked out in Cowboys paraphernalia and what have you, and then she would do a show wearing Cowboys stuff, if you will. So it was really a great experience, and they frankly thought that I would, um, I would enjoy that so much that I wouldn't go back to football, and I told them no. When I took this on, I told you that I was going back to football, and that's what I did. After that, um, American Airlines made me an offer, and I thought, rather than going to New York, because I was due to go head NFL security in New York, and I thought, I like the sound of American Airlines because it's close. And <laughs> uh, meeting Bob Crandall, which was one of the greatest experiences that I, I ever had, one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. So the experience in American Airlines was just phenomenal, as you uh, as you know, based upon yep. your experience. Uh, your your background, Larry, certainly is very fascinating. I think everybody listening is is going to be just amazed at at all of your experiences. And we're going to come back from the break, and I want to tap into that experience not only from uh, being the director of security for the Dallas Cowboys, but also during your tenure at American Airlines. So when we come back, we'll talk about accident response with Larry Wansley. Buckle up. More of The Black Box is next on RNCN. You're tuned in to The Black Box with Ken Jenkins on RNCN. And welcome back to The Black Box. I'm Ken Jenkins, your host. And in studio with me today is Larry Wansley, Director of Security for the Dallas Cowboys. And prior to that, was also the Managing Director of Corporate Security for American Airlines. And Larry, I want to spend some time talking about your tenure as Corporate Security Director, or Managing Director for American, and and specifically in the aftermath of a disaster, because you and I responded to a number of aircraft accidents together, especially with an organization such as an airline or other business entity, the organization mobilizes many different departments to respond. And as you know, we had multiple command centers established throughout the world in, in most of our responses. In one of our accident responses, we had command centers at, say, op- Operations Control, our Telephone Inquiry Call Center, various airports in the U.S., uh, London, Japan. Um, with such a massive undertaking like that, what are some of the considerations that you were taking into account to keep all of us safe in the various uh, response roles that we had? Communication and coordination, absolutely essential. As you know from your experience, there are so many entities that are involved in responding to and handling an air disaster or a disaster of any type. 
And uh, so consequently, coordination with those various entities and agencies is absolutely critical. When you consider an accident site, um, that's a, that's can be a crime scene. It's an accident scene, but it can indeed be a crime scene also. But maintaining the integrity of that location is critical. And working with the various entities that have a function of varying types, be it NTSB, the FAA, the FBI, the local authorities, the local government, and what have you, you really have to have a, a, an operation, a plan that is going to serve the needs of everyone involved in that. And it's absolutely critical that you do that. You cannot do that in a vacuum at all. At the various sites, again, accident scenes, be, and at corporate headquarters, you've got your command center, as you well know, which is sort of the nerve center of everything. You've got a variety of these locations around the world that all fit, that all have a place in this particular event or disaster, be it a resort, a tsunami, be it a, an airline crash or something like that. You've got people. The, the crucial piece of this is people and all the lives that they touch or touch upon them. So you've got to address every one of those those issues and support the various agencies that have those responsibilities. So let's go back to the agencies for a few minutes. And, and you talked about lo local law enforcement, I believe, and the agencies. And, and you and I certainly know from, from the airline perspective headquarters, Mr. Crandall, for example, and some of our accident responses as, this, as the chairman, um, but headquarter senior officers want to know what's going on at the scene. And when the accident occurs, it's typically local law enforcement that is cordoning off the scene until the National Transportation Safety Board or the NTSB shows up. So how would you inter interface with those agencies uh, and come on site as the airline representative so that you could have eyes on the ground and report back to headquarters what the scene looked like. How, how did you coordinate those responses? Well, with respect to the, the actual scene, um, obviously the GO team comprised of various representatives of the entities that need to be on site, that need to be functioning out there in the field in coordination with those people back at headquarters. So you establish that link, the representatives that are at the site, out in the field, wherever it is. And for this particular exercise, I'm just thinking about Columbia 965 mm -hmm. uh, and what have you, because it was a foreign country and you had a lot of issues that you wouldn't necessarily have within the domestic U.S. But establishing those connections immediately, you have to do that. Uh, first thing is you've got to make sure that the, the scene is secure. Um, the safety of all those people that are responding, that are out there, you've got a major, major responsibility for all that. So it's a, it's a matter of juggling all that and making sure that the communication is very, very effective with everyone, every agency, every entity that has a part of that. So, Larry, we're talking about um, security at the accident scene, and, and you and I have worked a number of, I'm going to call them non-terrorist-type events. Yes. Um, and we also responded to 9-11 together. Um, 
And of course, you know, we had multiple cities that were involved there. And of course, because it was a terrorist event, there were a lot of things that went on behind the scenes for us to get our go flights to those destinations and then provide on-scene security for our employees. What were some of the nuances from a security perspective that you would want to share with folks for their consideration if they should ever have to face a terrorist type of crisis response? Well, first of all, and it was a shock to all of us that lived through that period of time, um, it was an act of war. It was an act of terrorism. You, you had a criminal event as opposed to an accident. When it happened, um, first of all, we were missing Flight 11 and sort of trying to sort through that and making contact with the F- FBI. We didn't know. We thought that we had a missing airplane. And until the time that Danny Deffenbaugh, who was the head of the North Texas FBI division, and I were talking on the phone because up to that point, it was simply reporting a missing plane. We were going to initiate our hijack procedures. But during that phone call, we both watched the United flight go into the South Tower. And then we realized at that moment, this is an act of war. This is terror. This is a crime. This is entirely something different. And so consequently, you had the U.S. government, um, various entities of the U.S. government, city, state, municipal, you name it, everybody was involved in it because now you had a national threat. And the first thing that we thought about, and as you may recall, at American, we actually directed our planes to the ground Mm -hmm. before the FAA actually put that order out because we simply did not know what else is happening out there. All the other planes that are flying around, are they subject to the same kinds of actions and so forth? But it was a massive undertaking, uh, one of the most heartbreaking events that I've ever experienced in my life, and I would certainly say that that's probably the case with just about anybody listening that experienced it. But the point of it is, it was something that was so totally and uniquely different from anything that we've ever we'd ever had to deal with because now we were being threatened. We had been attacked on our own shores. And it created all kinds of needs, all kinds of issues that, quite frankly, we and the U.S. government had not been familiar with and had not planned for. So when we come back from the break, Larry, I'd like to talk some more about the details of those things that we hadn't maybe thought of or planned for based on a terrorist event specific to 9-11, some of the actions that you as a managing director of corporate security took to keep us safe during that response. And we'll follow up with Larry right after the break. Today in the studio is Larry Wansley, Director of Security for the Dallas Cowboys and former Managing Director of Corporate Security for American Airlines. And when we last left you, we were talking about uh, security protocols and uh, security measures in place to keep the employees and responders um, from the airline safe during the the 9-11 terrorist attack responses. So Larry, what were some of the things that were different Uh, in terms of things that you had to perform task-wise for the 9-11 response versus a non-terrorist type of event that we responded to? 
Well, the first thing is the fact that we had an act of war. We had a criminal, clearly criminal acts. And basically, uh, my department there at headquarters became an FBI uh, field office. We had um, my, my entire department was dedicated to supporting the FBI. Everything, every bit of information, analysis, and what have you that we could do, we did for them. So at my office at headquarters, we probably had um, on a daily basis anywhere from 30 to 50 agents that were going through information, meeting with my staff who were doing tasks for them, analyzing whatever data that we had. Across the way at SOC, we had probably another 20 plus FBI agents around the clock. And that's, that's where I was. I basically turned over the headquarters operation there to uh, one of my senior, senior managers, and we coordinated, we did everything at the, uh, at the request of the FBI. Whatever it is that they needed, whatever it was that they needed, they got from us. And it was a Herculean task, and it was that way for everyone around the airline in the operations um, the side of things. But that was the big difference. It was a criminal act, and we were totally dedicated to supporting everything that they, that they needed. Out in the field, certainly containment of each of those locations, both both the North and South Tower, the Pentagon, and uh, you know obviously Pennsylvania, those had their own particular needs. But again, it was all, all the government agencies came together and in working with the with the airlines and with the industries. And certainly, American and United were the victim airlines at that particular point. But from an industry standpoint, the other airlines didn't know if they had um, situations that may make them vulnerable and everything else. There was a tremendous amount of research that was uh, that was conducted. We went back and did thorough analysis of um, of the information that we had, passengers, itineraries, you name it. Uh, from an intelligence standpoint, that's what we were dedicated to. And um, out in the field, certainly there were security protocols and uh, security resources that were in place to, number one, protect the people that were responding that were actually working, uh, working the various scenes and what have you. But it was a, it was a, a massive effort on the part of everyone, every, every entity, every agency, and it was new to all of us. I remember several of the things that uh, were different for us in the field in terms of being the humanitarian response, the care team members that were responding. And we had family assistance centers set up in Boston, Los Angeles, Washington, and New York City. And I was in New York City coordinating uh, among the other command centers for family assistance, including our telephone inquiry center. And I remember one of the things that was different from a non-terrorist event, Larry, was we were being shared or we were being told from our soc uh, at headquarters who we could talk to and who we couldn't talk to uh, in terms of family members based on uh, who was still being vetted by the fbi as a potential terrorist Um, and that was certainly certainly different for us because we were typically i mean we were just used to going out and assisting the families in the aftermath and in this case our hands were somewhat tied absolutely and I remember in one particular case, there was a family that was uh, we weren't allowed to initially talk with, and then later the FBI said 
okay, we, we, we've done our background checks or whatever they were supposed to do and said, okay, now you can talk to them. And so we engaged care team members to work with them. I think it was telephonically initially. And then we were told a little bit later, no, they were back on that list and we had to stop contact. And then the next day they were off the list and we could contact them. And then they went back on the list. And at that point, we kind of raised our hands and said, you know, th that's just not fair to the airline trying to provide assistance to family members. So do you remember some of the discussions that went on there? And, and, and ha have things gotten better, I guess, since 9-11 in, in terms of how the agencies would coordinate with each other and in providing information to the airline um, for those that are providing family assistance services? The, the simple answer is yes. We've gone through that, that experience. But as you well know and recall, it was a moving target. Mm -hmm. And so consequently, some of the, the changing of minds or decisions, uh, it, was, it was an evolving process. You frankly didn't know who you were dealing with. And uh, so I can, I can understand it's on again, off again, and what have you. But from an airline perspective, hey, guys, wait a minute. Let's, let's just step back. You do what you need to do. And then when you reach a point where you think that, you know, there's a comfort level that we now can go do what we need to do from a family support, family assistance perspective, mm -hmm. let us know. Because it's really putting us into a very, very uncomfortable situation where, okay, now you're, you're a good guy and we're going to do everything we can to help you. Oh, well, sorry, and then you become that secretive uh, representative of the airline. Right. It's no good for anyone. Well, I remember one of the other things that was um, that stood out for me for 9-11 for was from a humanitarian response, airlines would um, send their uh, care team members or special assistance team members, depending on what they would call them within their organization, to work with family members in the aftermath, whether it was at a family assistance center in their home. And in this specific situation with 9-11, we were not allowed to do that. We were only allowed to work with family members at a family assistance center with armed guards present outside the, the center or within the center. And if the family left that center, then the care team members couldn't escort, uh, be with them. We needed to be under guard uh, 24 hours a day, basically, during that response. And so while we had those protocols in the field, what were some of those protocols to keep the headquarters and, and operations control personnel safe? I'm assuming there were other things going on security uh, for security purposes for the employees at headquarters. What were some of those things? Absolutely. Um, let me simply say that the facilities, everything related to our facilities and our operations, our personnel was covered uh, and to whatever degree necessary for the protection of everyone that was that was there, everyone, the surrounding area. Um, I'll just, I'll leave it at that because we work very, very closely with the government entities, obviously the, the FBI, and we did uh, quite a bit more than you would normally expect. Larry, thank you so much for all the information you've shared. And, and as a matter of fact, you have so much to share. We're going to continue this discussion into the next episode. So I'd like to thank my guest, Larry Wansley, for joining us today and for continuing into Episode 10, this discussion. I hope this episode of The Black Box provided you valuable insight and information regarding the critical role of corporate security in the aftermath of an adverse event within your organization. As I've said before, regardless of your role in the response, people want to see the humanity of the organization in the aftermath of a disaster. 
How you respond in the aftermath is critical to the success of your response. If you'd like more information on the role of corporate security in the aftermath of a tragedy, please email me at theblackbox at kenjenkinsllc.com. I also invite you to follow me on Twitter and Facebook at kenjenkinsllc. For additional information regarding the services of our guest, Larry Wansley, he may be reached via email at lwansley, W-A-N-S-L-E-Y, at att.net. From everyone on the Black Box, thank you for joining us. Until next time, be safe. Destination for premium talk radio.